It's good to see everybody today. We want to welcome our Fenwick Island campus. They're here with us today, uh, with us uh, live streaming. So let's give our Fenwick Island campus a big hand. Last Sunday, I had about 200 people at that campus. We're so grateful for the strong beginning we're having in that campus, and we're just really excited about what the Lord is doing in Fenwick Island. So it's really cool to see what's happening there. Uh, we're in a series called uh, How to Have Your Best Year Yet, and we've been talking about the importance of what we need to do in order to have our very best year. I am convinced that this year is going to be my best year ever, the best year that I've ever had personally. I believe it's going to be our best year as a church. I believe this year is going to be our very best year ever. So I'm very excited about this year. So we're talking about the principles that help us to have a great year. What are the things that can help us to have a great year? We know uh, the first week we talked about the importance of not letting your circumstances define your attitude. The importance of making sure that you are able to transcend the circumstances in your life. We know that every year has a mixture of challenges and good things. There's no such thing as a year without any challenges. So when you think about uh, every year we go into, we need to remember that we need to sort of have this rejoicing, this positive attitude to make sure that we can transcend the negative things that are happening around us. And so we talked the second week about the importance of making Christ first in your life. And then when you make Christ first of your life, it, it makes you the best you you can be. Makes you the best dad you can be. Makes you the best uh, 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 friend you can be. It makes you the best spouse you can be. So putting Jesus first has the, uh, the effect of making you more effective in ministering to other people. And last week we talked about the importance of being kind. Three people you need to be kind to. Kind to yourself, kind to people that you disagree with, and kind to people that uh, are closest to you. So this morning, uh, part four here, we're going to be talking about uh, this principle of how to have your best year yet. And this is the importance of reading the Bible every day, the importance of reading the Bible every day. I think that if we're going to have our best year yet, then we need to somehow just lean in to reading the Bible more than we've ever read the Bible before. Maybe you're a, a new follower of Jesus. You're just fresh in your faith. Maybe you've been a Christian for 20 years or 30 years. This year, when you reconnect to reading the Scripture every day, it makes an incredible difference in your life. And here's what I believe. I believe that the Bible is like a navigation system. I believe it's like a navigation system. Uh, a couple uh, weeks ago, uh, I went to see Bob Ogerfell, who's a part of our church. Uh, he had surgery in Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia. Anybody ever been to Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia? Really, really great hospital. And it had been quite a while since I've been to Jefferson Hospital. So I put my, uh, I have a little Tacoma pickup, I believe the kind of uh, truck that Jesus would drive if he lived on the earth today. So I put in my navigation system the address for Jefferson Hospital. You know, hey, listen, I live in Sussex County. You know, there's not a lot of uh, high-rises around here and all that. It's not the city. Uh, it's getting more like the city, but it's not the city. So when I go drive in a metropolitan area, I'm a little anxious. So I, I keyed in the uh, address for the Jefferson uh, Hospital, the neuro neurological unit. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Aren't... 
uh, GPS systems, amazing. I mean, just I just put it in there, and the little uh, little map showed me where I was and highlighted the road I was supposed to be on in red. And then uh, this voice told me when to turn, when to get ready uh, to turn, and all that gave me plenty of notice. How many of you remember before navigation systems? You remember atlases? You remember these atlases that we used to have uh, when you were in a car and you had to read these atlases? You remember that? I mean, that was a, that was the thing, and it used to be. Uh, that my wife, Karen, she would sit in the passenger seat. She'd have the big old atlas out, and she'd be reading the atlas and telling me where to turn and all that. And, you know, we would, you know, inevitably get into some conflict and all that. I believe that navigation systems have saved countless marriages. That's what I believe. (laughs) But it is significant to me that navigation systems are in the voice of a woman. I don't know why that is, but mine is a woman. and, And sometimes when I make a wrong turn, I can hear her sigh, like, how did you miss that, you know? But navigation systems, they kind of take you, you know, right where you need to go. And I got to Jefferson Hospital uh, in record time, uh, drove right through it's downtown Philadelphia, and I had to park in, in a parking lot there, very, very expensive parking lot. Uh, it was like, you know, I don't know, it's like $40 for a couple hours, so it was a lot really expensive. And the guy said to me, so you know there's a, uh, there's a parking lot behind the hospital, you know, that you could park at. I said, is it free? He said, this is America. There's nothing free here. So he said... Uh, <laughs> So anyhow, I got there, and I got to visit Bob. I had a great visit. And I was just thinking about what navigation systems do for us. Navigation systems help us to go to places where we've never been before. They help us to navigate to places that we're unfamiliar with. And I think that, uh, that that's the greatest thing about a navigation system, is when you're insecure and you're not sure about where you are, and you're at a place you've never been before, that navigation system will help you to process that, that situation. And there's a great scripture in the uh, Old Testament about a great navigation system. And it's uh, found in the book of Joshua. And let me read it to you. Uh, it says in Joshua chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4, Early the next morning, Joshua and his Israelites uh, set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance about 2,000 cubics between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. So in this story, I love the phrase, you know, since you've not been this way before. So the children of Israel are going to a place they've never been before. They're coming into the promised land. If you know the Old Testament uh, narrative, the story, they've been in Egypt. They finally got delivered and the ten plagues and all that. They got out of Egypt and they're finally coming into the promised land after 40 years. And they're crossing the Jordan River. And how are they going to know how to get where they need to go? So what, uh, what Joshua says is Joshua says, uh, you're going to look at the Ark of the Covenant. I don't know if you know what the Ark of the Covenant is. How many remember Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember seeing that movie? Here's a picture of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark here. Uh, this is the Ark of the Covenant. They did a really good job. Hollywood did a really good job of uh, presenting this. This box was about uh, four feet long, a little over four feet long, or almost four feet long, and about two and a half feet tall. And, uh, and it had these cherubim on top and these little poles that you carried. So this is what they were looking at. It was uh, made of wood and it was covered with gold. And they looked at this ark because there was a place they had never been before. And God's instruction was to go 
get away from about it from about a thousand yards or more so that the whole group could see the ark. And so in order for them to navigate going where they've never been before, they had a fixed point of looking at the ark of the covenant. And when you think about places you've never been before, places you've never been before, uh, sometimes, you know, you bring a new baby home. That's a place you've never been before. You never had a baby. I remember when Karen and I had our first child. Uh, she had the child. I just was there. And, uh, and I remember when we, we got done and brought, you know, they brought us down the elevator and the nurse walked us to the door and they handed us a baby and uh, they sent us home. I mean, like, that's not really, they shouldn't do that. You know what I mean? We were like 22 years old. We were dumb as a post. We didn't know what we were doing. And, uh, you know, if you get a driver's license, you've got to take a test, you've got to take a class, go through training, uh, and before you can drive a car. But they'll give you a human being to take home with no training at all. <laughs> I looked at the nurse like, like, shouldn't you go with us? I mean, like, shouldn't you come with us for a while? But that's a place we've never been before. You know, sometimes, you know, you get in different places in life where you've never been before. Sometimes it's uh, a job change. I have a good friend that he had his job. He had a job for 25 years. That job ended, and uh, then he had a job that he took for the last eight years, and he called me a couple weeks ago, and he said, Danny, my job is ending, and I can't retire yet. I don't have enough money, and I've got to go into a whole different field of work, and he was a little apprehensive. We talked about that. We prayed together, and we processed that. You know, sometimes when you're at a place you've never been before, it's really intimidating, a place you've never, ever been before. Uh, my dad, he lost, my mom passed away in July. I've mentioned that quite frequently here lately. For 62 years, she held his hand every day and gave him counsel and was an encourager. And now my dad has a place he's never been before. Sometimes when your kids leave home, that empty nest syndrome, you don't know what to do for yourself. Some of you are praying that day will happen. But when it happens, you know, it's kind of hard for some people. So places you've never been before. And the children of Israel, in order for them to... Go through a place they'd never been before. The Lord said, look at the ark. Look at the ark because you've not passed this way before. Look at the ark because you haven't passed this way before. What's significant about the ark is what's inside of the ark. What's inside of the ark are the, the tablets of stone that God engraved with his own finger. God's words are inside of the ark. And what's important about the ark is not the ark as much as what's inside the ark, and inside the ark is God's word. In order for us to go through places we've never been before, in order for us to navigate 2020 and be successful in our marriage, be successful in our job, be successful raising our kids, be successful in dealing with challenges and things we've never faced before, we need to keep our focus on God's word. Because it's a constant, and that, that constant of being able to look at the Bible, looking at Scripture, knowing what God's Word is about, having it hidden in your heart, will help you navigate the changes in your life. Because life is always full of changes. Life is always full of surprises. It's when you focus on the ark, it helps you to go to places you've never been before. So when you think about the Bible this year, and reading the Bible... Uh, you know, 85% of households in America have a Bible, uh, 85%. Most households have uh, about 4.7 Bibles in their house. So how many have more than one Bible in your house? You have more than one Bible. And uh, so we all have Bibles. Uh, about 20 
6% of Americans never read the Bible. 26% of Americans never read the Bible. 10% of Americans only read the Bible like once a year. So that's almost half of people in America don't read the Bible in any legitimate way. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. We want to talk about that a little bit today. But first of all, who should read the Bible? Who should read the Bible? Uh, first people that should read the Bible. These are three people that should read the Bible. First group of people that should read the Bible are leaders or people with influence. Leaders or people with influence. Now you say, okay, that gets me out of it. I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader. John Maxwell says that a leader is someone that has influence. So if you have influence over anybody, you're a leader. If you've got little kids, you're a single mother, those kids are looking up at you and they're uh, looking to you for guidance, you're a leader. If you uh, coach a soccer team or coach a basketball team, you're a leader. If you have uh, some people at work that you oversee, you're a leader. Whatever your position, like most all of us are leaders because we have influence. So people that have influence and have other people depending on them have to be people who read the word and are committed to the word and reading the word because if you are a leader and you have influence over other people, you need a resource that's higher than yourself. You need a resource that's greater than yourself so that you can lead and help other people effectively. You cannot and I cannot help other people if I am my only resource. But if I fill my heart with the wisdom of God and if I fill my heart with the grace of God, like every day I read a proverb, every day I read uh, something out of the wisdom literature in the Bible, and it helps me become wise. Day by day, week by week, year by year, I'm gaining wisdom so I can help people that are listening to me. Now, here's, a, here's something that is interesting. In the book of Deuteronomy, whenever a person became a king in Israel, when you became a king, uh, first thing they did before they filled their cabinet, before they worked on their army, before they changed the curtains in the Oval Office, the first thing they did was the king was to make a copy, a personal copy of the Torah, God's Word. So here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, 17 verse 18 through 19. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of his law and his decrees. Did you get that? Isn't that incredible? First thing he did, he has to go into the scribal room, and the Levites are there, and the new king had to look at this side, they had a copy of the Torah, and this side, a blank, um, a blank scroll, and word by word, he copied the Torah. He copied the Torah, and that's what prepared him to lead Israel and to be effective leader. Very, very important principle. Let me just uh, say something to you. There's incredible power in copying things. When you copy something, you learn it. You master it. You internalize it. When I help uh, guys learn how to preach, I have had the privilege of helping a few uh, young guys that are in ministry, including my son. One of the things that we've, we've taught these young guys is the importance of internalizing your message. That means that you don't look at your notes when you're speaking most of the time, unless you read something that's pertinent or you know that they say better than you could say. 
but you internalize it so it's inside of you so you know it when you speak it. Uh, for instance, if you want to get, if you're here today and you're in college, I can tell you how to get A's and B's in college. I can tell you how to get A's and B's in college. Here's how you do it. Real simple. Anybody going to college, you can get A's and B's if you just do this. Simple. And uh, you don't have to be the smartest person in class. You just have to do this. First thing is you don't skip class. You never skip class. I mean, you just don't skip class because your parents' money is a horrible thing to waste. You do not skip class. You go to class. And I went to a class one time, University of Delaware. There was a lady there giving the lecture. She was uh, 130, 120, something like that. She was really old. <laughs> the smell of Ben Gay came from her person. And she's reading her lectures, 25 people in the class. And uh, she's reading, and it, it's, it's like watching paint dry. It's the most boring thing I've ever heard in my life. And I love to learn. And it was, a, it was an American history course, one of, some version of American history. And she's reading, and groups of people were getting up, leaving. And it came down. I was the only person left in the class, and I stayed for the whole class. You don't skip class. Because I think if I'm in taking a class and this lecture's being given, there's probably never another chance in my life I'm going to hear something lectured on that subject. I wouldn't want to miss that. But here's the, here's the real thing. When you go to class, sit on the front row and take really, really good notes. Take really good notes. And when you go home that night, you recopy those notes. If you recopy those notes, you master the information and you have to do it word by word and you'll get A's and B's when you go to college. So that's work. And this is what the king was supposed to do. The king was supposed to, supposed to copy the law. And the reason he was supposed to copy the law is because he was supposed to get the law and God's word in his heart because if he's going to lead other people, if you're going to be a good parent, if you're going to be a good mom, if you're going to be a good dad, if you're going to be a good uh, manager at work, you need to fill yourself with God's word because God's word covers everything. It has all of these points of wisdom. It has uh, great insight about relationships, has insight about how to run a business, has insight about money, has insight about relationships. It has all of these insights. And as you accumulate God's word, it makes you a, a good person to follow. Let me read a couple of uh, Psalms to you, that, uh, especially Psalm 119, that talk about God's word and how the importance of God's word. Psalm 119, Psalm 19, verse 7, not 119, Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Second phrase there, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. When I read the Bible, and when I sit down and read the Bible, I mean, I'm like everybody else. Sometimes I don't want to read. I'd rather watch TV or whatever. Uh, but when I read the Bible and I sit down and I read it on my laptop or my, my tablet here, when I read it, there's life in God's Word. And even if I don't understand everything I'm reading, it's like I'm recharging my battery. We've got this little, uh, you know, uh, battery-operated car uh, in, our, in our garage that the grandkids drive. And it's a, uh, uh, it's a little pink car. I got it for Willow. She never liked it, but all the other grandkids like it. And uh, that battery, they go up and down the driveway. And after they get done riding, I have to pull that battery out and I have to plug it in so it's charged up. And when I read Scripture, my battery gets charged up. I feel better. I feel life inside of me. So reading Scripture helps you. The law of the Lord is re perfect, refreshing the soul. Everybody here in Millsboro and everybody here 
at, uh, at the Femic Island campus. Let's say this uh, together. The Bible recharges my spirit. Have you ever gotten discouraged and tired and wore down and you just don't, you know, you just, just don't have any life or pizzazz, your motivation has gone? Uh, reading the Bible helps you to get that. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. When it says it's perfect, what it means there, the word perfect is it, it's the word for complete or comprehensive. Comprehensive. It means it's it's comprehensive. It covers everything. It covers it covers everything in life that you need. Now, it's not going to tell you to marry, you know, who to marry, Susie or Sally, but it's going to give you principles about every aspect of your life. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statue of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The word simple is naive, making wise the simple. And so I don't want to be simple. I want to be wise. One other verse in Psalm, Psalm 119, verses 98 through 99. Your commands are always with me. And make me wiser than my enemies. Your commands are always with me. And make me wiser than my enemies. Now, maybe a good word for enemies is challenges. Your wisdom and your commands are with me. And they make me wiser than all the challenges that I face. And I have more insight than all my teachers. I meditate on your statues. I meditate on your statues. So God's word helps to make us wise. And if we're going to lead and influence other people, we have to be filled with a superior source of wisdom. We have to have God's word over us, a greater resource than ourselves. What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? The Bible says that the statutes of the Lord give us wisdom. Now, knowledge is understanding facts. It's understanding information. And in reading the Bible, sometimes you read for information. You read for facts. You want to know what the story, the story about Lazarus is in John chapter 11. You read it and you understand the story. And you get the facts of the story. You know that he lived in Bethany. You know he was dead for four days before Jesus came. And you, you read and you get the facts of the story. So knowledge is the facts of the story. Wisdom is when the Holy Spirit helps you to apply that wisdom to your life. So here's a, here's a good, I think, a good illustration. Uh, golf caddy. If you see here a golf caddy, uh, it's a picture of a golf caddy. Now, what a golf caddy does is a golf caddy, he knows all the clubs. He knows the terrain of the golf course. And he's able to give instruction to the golfer of what club he needs. And so the caddy will pull out the right club for the right situation. And so the caddy is like the Holy Spirit. When you read God's word, you're filling your bag with the clubs that you need for life. You're filling, God, you're filling your, your heart with the clubs that you need. And you're going to need the sand wedge for sure. You're going to need the pitching wedge. You're going to need the, the three iron, the putter. You're going to need all of these. But when you're going through life, the Holy Spirit is like the caddy. You read the word. You study the word, you're listening, and you're, le you're reading, and you're getting it, and you're reading it, and then a day comes when you're in a crisis, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is like the caddy. He says, okay, this is what you need. You read this in James. You need, you need the sand wedge here, and he gives you the instruction of what you need, and he helps you to apply it to your life. 
He helps you apply it to your life. So the reason that we need to read God's Word is because we always are facing situations we've never been in. And so when we fill ourselves with God's Word, when we get into a moment where we need something from the Lord, the Holy Spirit is like the caddy. He says, okay, here's the club you need. Here's the club you need. Here's the verse you need. And this happened to me over and over again. I think about what happens to... Uh, People sometimes that never read God's Word. Basically, when they never read God's Word, I've got an empty bag over there. Uh, when I never read God's Word, it's like I have a golf bag that doesn't have any clubs in it. And the caddy doesn't have anything to pull on. So say this way, God's Word, God's word. is put in my heart. First is knowledge. Then when the Holy Spirit applies it to my life, it becomes wisdom. So, I'm a young man, I'm 23 years old, not now, but then, I was 23 years old, and my son was born, Tim, uh, my first son, Timothy Daniel, Tim was born, and uh, he uh, was born prematurely, three weeks early, uh, we went to the hospital, and they, those days, they had this belt they put on uh, Karen that was supposed to monitor her her contractions and the belt was not on right and they kept giving her more and more potassium and gave her these incredible uh, these incredible contractions and in the midst of that her her uterus ruptured and our little boy Tim was born uh, in that chaos and injected fluid into his undeveloped lungs so the doctors at Sacred Heart Hospital in Pensacola, Florida, they said that this is very serious, that because his lungs aren't developed, he may not survive, and this is very, very serious. And I remember the trauma of that, you know, and uh, when he was born, he was all blue. I was in the delivery room, and he was all limp, and I didn't, I thought, I didn't know. I, didn't, I thought maybe that's how it was supposed to be, and they said, here's your baby, and they ran out the door, you know, and uh, so they took him to the intensive care unit, and the doctor said, this is very, very serious, and I remember going home that night uh, to where we lived. Karen was in the hospital. I went home, and uh, we lived in this little house in Brownsville, Florida, and uh, I knelt down next to our, our green and yellow couch that was somebody given to us. It was a just awful couch. And I kneeled down on our ugly floor. We had this old brown carpet, and we were not rich in those days. And uh, we, we, we're not rich now either, but anyhow, uh, just, just in case you're wondering, uh, we're, we're doing a lot better than we were then. But I remember kneeling down, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm just scared stiff, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I prayed for Karen. I prayed for Tim. And I was kneeling there, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit pulled out a club. I used to love to read Exodus. It's one of my favorite books in, in Bible college. In Exodus chapter 12, it says, When I see the blood, I will pass over your house, and I will not take your firstborn. And I knew from studying Hebrew that the word Passover meant to hover over, to protect. And he said, I'm going to hover over and I'm going to protect your son. So I went to the kitchen table and I took an index card and I wrote that scripture, Exodus chapter 12, I think it's verse 8. I wrote it down. And I went to the hospital, Sacred Heart Hospital. I said to the intensive care nurses, I said, can I put this scripture over him? Can I kind of 
put with a piece of tape over there. They gave me a place where I could do it. I put it there. And I stood in front of him, and I stood over him every day for a whole week, for 10 days, 11 days, 12 days. And I looked at that scripture, and I thanked the Lord that the Lord was hovering over him and protecting him. And his little jaundice body was all jaundice, and they had to shave his head. They're putting, they're putting uh, you know, needles everywhere. And uh, he turned around. And in 13 days, we brought him home from the hospital. And for me, the wisdom of God helped me through a situation I'd never been in before. Because I had been studying the Bible, and as I'd been studying the Bible, when I needed something, the Holy Spirit was my caddy. He pulled it out and he said, here is what you need for here, this situation. Here's a picture of Tim. Uh, we went to the U.S. Open a couple years ago. Here's a picture of me and Tim. And uh, he came over last night. I don't, know, I don't know if you guys have the picture when they came over last night. He was over last night, brought her little granddaughter, uh, Willow, and we let him in the house because he had Willow with him. So, uh, uh, <laughs> successful businessman. I looked at him last night. He's just, he's just doing so good. He's making lots of money, and he's a leader in the community, building community down there in Rehoboth and rubbing elbows with all the investors. He's just really, really doing good, and he loves Jesus. And I thought, you know, how different my life would be without him. So sometimes you need the Lord to give you something. And if you haven't filled your, your, your golf bag, if you haven't filled your golf bag, when you come to a situation you've never been, with, been in before, the Holy Spirit, the caddy, has nothing to draw from to give you. So, so, so you read the Bible Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you don't get anything. You read it. Sometimes, you know, you read it like, okay, what was that all about? Sometimes you read it, you know, it's good. You know, I mean, you get something. Sometimes you just read it and you don't get anything, but you're, you're putting it in the bank. You're filling your bag. And when the Holy Spirit helps you with something, he takes knowledge and he translates it to wisdom. Say this with me, Femic Island, and say this with me here at Millsboro. Uh, God takes our knowledge and by his spirit, he transforms it into wisdom. So I went through a really rough time. Some of you went through it with me, you know, a number of years ago. Really, really tough time. Hardest time, thing I've ever been through in my ministry. And I was praying and praying and uh, didn't know if I was going to make it. And uh, just tough time for a lot of people. And I was being sued, going through a lot of things. Just tough time. And uh, I'm praying, oh, Lord, I have no idea. I'm reading the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. like It's just like. You ever been in a daze? You're just like trying to turn the pages, you know, and that's how I was. And one day I was reading, and the Lord said to me, I was reading in Genesis of all things, and I can tell you exactly where it was when I read this. I know exactly where I was. I know exactly when it happened. He said, I was reading about Noah, and he said, after the great flood, after the great flood, Noah lived 350 years. After the great flood, Noah lived 350 years. The Holy Spirit took that little obscure passage. It's like a club in my bag. He pulled it out. He said, you're in a great storm. You're in a great storm, but you'll survive this storm. And you'll have a long and fruitful ministry after that storm. I'm here to tell you, that's not just for me. There's somebody, as I was preparing this message, there's somebody here today. You're in a great storm. 
you're in a great ferocious storm and you think it's the end of you. And I'm here to tell you, it's not the end of you. It's the beginning of your future. God has a great future for you and he hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. It doesn't matter how big the storm is. It doesn't matter how ferocious the storm is. God still has a future for you in 2020. Can you say a big amen? If you believe that in Fenwick Island, say a big amen. If you believe that in Millsboro, say a big amen. If we believe that in both campuses, let's say a big amen right now. Amen. amen. <clears throat> so people that need the word, people that need the word are people that are leaders. I'm not going to get to all three of these. Number two, people that are weak. People that are weak. Uh, everybody has weaknesses. So if you are... Uh, if, if you have a weakness, weaknesses come in two forms. We all have propensity to be weak in certain things. So you, the Bible says, I have filled my heart with your word that I may not sin against you. So you need to be a person of the word and read the word if you're weak. If you're weak. Uh, and that's important. Uh, when uh, Achilles, the Greek mythology figure... Remember, you ever heard Achilles' heel? You've heard that phrase? Achilles was a, a, a Greek uh, war figure. And when he was born, his, his mother, Thetis, was told that, um, that he would die young. There was a prophecy that came from Hector. And so what she did, she took him down to the river Styx, which was the immortal river. And she grabbed him by the heel and she dipped him in the river. And she dipped him in the river. He would be protected but she forgot that his heel was exposed. And because his heel wasn't dipped in the river, that's where Paris shot him with an arrow and he was killed. So everybody has a weak area. I have two areas that I'm weak in. Two areas that I'm weak in. I know I'm weak in those areas. Important to know where you're weak. And you say, Pastor Danny, what are those two areas that you're weak in? I would say it's none of your business. It's none of your business. <laughs> How many of you have a weak area in your life? Maybe you're impatient. Maybe you have a little bit of a temper. Maybe you're prone to certain things. You know, we all have weaknesses. So when we read God's word, it fortifies our weaknesses. It helps us where we're weak. So sometimes it's just an area we can, sometimes it's a situation we're in. We're weak because of an accumulation of things that have fallen upon us that we're just overwhelmed with certain things because we, we got battles on the right and left and it's a very, very difficult time. So we feel weak. And here's what First uh, John says. Let me read a passage to you in 1 John before we, uh, we get, uh, hurry out along here. 1 John says this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to this. I write to you, the apostle John is writing, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Say that with me. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Everybody, let's read that one more time. Both campuses are ready. Here we go. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God lives in you. Strength comes from the Word being in us. If you're going to have an incredible mission in life, if you're going to be a king, you're going to be a president, you're going to be a father, you're going to lead a company, you're going to have pressure on you. You've got to have the Word in you to make you strong. The Word makes you strong. Now, uh, I take my dad out to uh, dinner every Monday or Tuesday. It depends how the week's looking. And he always likes to go to Stargate Diner in Seaford. He loves that diner. 
I just, he just loves it. So that's where we go. And uh, he knows everybody there. They all know him. It's like a big family. So we go in there. My dad, you know, I told you he lost my mom uh, in July, 62 years. And my dad is, he's got a smile on his face. He's strong. He hurt, he's hurting. You know, he said, I miss your mom. I miss her, miss her every day. Kiss the pillow she sleeps on, slept on every night before I go to sleep. So I miss your mom. But there's strength in my dad. There's strength in him. He's, uh, he's, 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 he's stronger than I've ever seen him. He's, he's full of wisdom. And he's full of grace. And he loves Jesus. And he's, he's ministering to people at the restaurant, you know. And uh, he's, just, he's not falling apart. He's hurting, but he's not falling apart. So I'll call my dad. I say, Dad, call him in the morning. Special call him in the morning. What are you doing? Reading the Word? I'm just reading the Word. And uh, I was over there the other night, and he was, uh, I went in the other room. I came back. He had the Bible open. Here's a picture of my dad. He was reading, reading the Word and just sitting there reading the Word. It looks like he's a little asleep there. Maybe he fell asleep. He must be reading Leviticus there. <laughs> but he's always, he's always reading the Word. There's a correlation between his strength, his composure, and his relationship to God's Word. Okay, real quickly. Three things in just a flash, how I can read the Bible effectively. So you leave this sermon and say, that's a pretty good sermon. I ought to read the Bible. You won't read the Bible. That's what you do. You won't read the Bible. Won't happen. Not going to happen. I wasn't born yesterday. You're not going to read the Bible just because I preach a sermon. Here's a couple things you need to do. First of all, you need to have a plan of how you're going to read the Bible. Uh, what I mean by that is if you have a specific time and a specific place that you read the Bible, you make up your mind to read the Bible, you'll be much more consistent to read the Bible. They did a study. Uh, 248 people, this study in Great Britain, uh, people that should exercise more. The study was uh, in three groups. They divided them in three groups. The first group was just, uh, okay, just for next two weeks, log every time you exercise. That's all those, that group had to do. Second group, they had to log when they exercised, and they were given reading material to read about... Um, how much, uh, how, how important it was to exercise, the benefits of exercise, the benefits for your health. And they even came in and gave a little talk on coronary health, uh, heart uh, health and all that, and gave them a little talk. The third group was given the same talk as the second group, but they were told to say this sentence and fill the sentence in. I am going to exercise on this day, at this time, at this place. Group number one, group number two, at the end of the two-week study, uh, 35 to 38 percent exercised once a week, 35 to 38 percent. And there was no difference, no difference between those that had the talk, the motivation talk, and those that didn't have the motivation talk. No difference at all. The third group that had a place and a time and a plan, 91 percent exercised, 91% exercise. So for you to do this better, you go home and you say, okay, my deal is I'm going to read the Bible in the morning after I finish my coffee, after the kids get on the school bus, or I'm going to read the Bible after I get my shower uh, at night before I turn the TV on. I have a time and a place. I want to do more push-ups this year. That was my goal this year. So I, last year, oh, I want to do push-ups, and I would do them for a couple of weeks. Then I forget. So this year, I'm reading this book called uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Great book. 
he says you need to connect your new habit with an old habit. So what I did was, is every time I brush my teeth, I turn around and go into the, uh, into the walk-in closet and I do push-ups. I did 40 this morning. Brush my teeth, up oh, the trigger, do push-ups. Brush my teeth, do push-ups at night. So I do in, in morning and night. And if my teeth start rotting out, that means I don't want to do push-ups anymore, I guess. <laughs> so if you have a plan, what's your plan going to be? When are you going to do it? You've got to have a time. Got to have a time. Got to have a time. Got to have a place. I have a blue chair, so I sit in. That's where I read my Bible. And uh, I have a time that I do that every day. It's the same time every day. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be morning. Doesn't have to be night. It could be you get done eating lunch in the workroom. You go sit in your car for half an hour, read the Bible. That's your plan. Say this to me. I have to have a plan if I'm going to read the Bible. Number two, you have to be consistent when you don't understand what you're reading. So listen, you, the Bible is complicated. It's tough, you know. That's why you should start in the New Testament, start in Mark. The Bible is complicated. But, um, you know, it's just, you just keep reading it, keep reading it. In fact, the book of Revelation says, that's the most complicated book in the world, the book of Revelation. How many ever read the book of Revelation? I've been to Patmos where it was written. I went to the Greek island of Patmos, sat on the island and read the book of Revelation. No more insight than I did when I was reading it here. But it was a nice beach. I did enjoy the beach. In fact, Martin Luther was so disturbed, disturbed with the uh, book of Revelation, he tore out his Bible, threw it in a, in a stream behind his house. He was frustrated that day. But here's what the book of Revelation says. Blessed are those that read it. You're blessed when you read it, even if you don't understand it. And as you read it over time, the pieces start coming together. The pieces start coming together. You keep reading it. You read the New Testament through every year. I saw Bob Ogerfell in the, in the hospital. He had read the Bible through and all that. So the last thing, and this is it, uh, the last thing, get good resources. Now, there's three resources I want to recommend to you uh, as we end today. Three resources I want to end today with, and here are the resources. First of all, the U version, the U version of the Bible. Here's the U version. How many have heard of the U version? You get the YouVersion app. It's got all the translations. It's got Bible reading programs in here. How I read the Bible is I use the YouVersion, and I read a different translation every year. And I put it on audio. I push the play, and I hear it while I read it. And it keeps my mind from drifting. So it just kind of reads it to me, and the YouVersion will do that. So you can download the YouVersion app. I just play it. I'm reading through, I just got done with Nehemiah. Uh, I'm into, you know, the next book after that. And I'm reading, I read Psalms and all that. So that's one thing. There's another thing called read scripture. Read scripture. Now read scripture. Uh, if you just Google read scripture, there's an app on your phone that's put out by the Bible Project. Read scripture is amazing. So here's how it works. Read scripture has a little uh, video uh, like if you're reading Genesis 1 through 12, it will, you plug the video, you just open it up. Okay, you've got a video that you watch before you, you read your first couple chapters in Genesis. And it gives you an overview of that part of Genesis, and then you read it. It's incredible. The videos are absolutely incredible. The reading project, the Bible project uh, is an incredible resource. And if I was starting as a believer, this is where I would start, uh, the Bible project. It's just called Reading Scripture. But it's put on by the Bible Project people. And the last thing is the Application Study Bible. 
Here's a picture of the application study Bible. The application study Bible has all kinds of uh, resources and, and footnotes. If you're reading through Esther, it'll give you little notes at the bottom. If you're reading through Mark, it'll give you little notes at the bottom, a book of Acts or whatever. So it's good stuff. It's good resources. The uh, life application study Bible. So let's ask the Lord to help us. Let's ask the Lord to help us. And I was going through, uh, went to my 40th class reunion a few uh, years ago, high school class reunion. Two of my buddies, uh, Dave Kaiser and David Smith, they said, uh, said, Danny, you still got that green Bible? That green Bible you used to carry to school every day? Because what they remember about me, how I got through high school, following Jesus, is I had a green Bible and had long hair, if you can imagine that, and a green Bible. And I'm walking, and that's, that Bible got me through that. And the Bible will get you through life. Lift up your hands. Those of you at the Family Island campus, those of you at the Millsburg campus, let's make a commitment for the Lord to give us a, a plan and a time to read the word beginning right now. Lord, we thank you, God, for blessing us. We ask you to help us and strengthen us, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for your incredible love for us. And we just thank you for working in us this year, for us to have our greatest year ever. We thank you. You're going to change this habit in our life, this fundamental habit to get us reading your word again like never before. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.